What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you remake a classic flick, throw in some references, and crank the blood up to 11? Why you get Evil Dead. Everybody and welcome to the new episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well, and we're still, you know, strong into Ashtober right now. And uh, this, I know, is done a little out of order. And for some people, maybe it was kind of like, well, I'd rather hear about Evil Dead Two, and then you go into Army of Darkness, and then you come to this flick, and it could be your big Halloween episode. But honestly, and I've talked about this before, I really want to talk about this film right after you know, I saw The Evil Dead because it really is kind of a weird mix of reboot slash remake slash, you know, and some people actually call it a sequel to the original Evil Dead. So yeah, it does make sense to put it at the end, but in terms of a remake, I would rather have that completely fresh in my head and then come over and do this. And so that's why I'm doing it this way. You probably, like I said, already heard in other episodes, but if this happens to be your first time listening to this podcast, you know, you may want to go back an episode and listen to the episode of The Evil Dead that I did, and then come to this one and kind of do a compare and contrast between what I talk about there and what I talk about here. Now, to say that this is a good, like an exact remake... Um, it's not, but it has a lot of the same type of themes, and it actually uses a lot of the same type of imagery, even down to recreating some of the scenes from the original film as well as the original poster, at least in a way. It's kind of a weird thing. Now, I want to get this out of the way right away, too. Uh, first, see the film. See both films. If you haven't seen The Evil Dead, go watch The Evil Dead. If you haven't seen Evil Dead, this from 2013, in a really long time, I suggest you stop, you go watch it. Because again, a lot of this stuff is going to be very visual, right? 
there's a lot more clips than there was in the last episode just because this movie kind of leans towards that. There's a couple of clips where I actually had to do a little bit of editing. It doesn't sm- sound as smooth as I want it to be because there's stuff that happens in between. And instead of giving you, you know, a minute of a character screaming or yelling or something like that, only to come back to a little bit of dialogue, I decided to cut that out of those scenes and then try to blend it as best as I can. Um, uh, especially when it sucks when there's like one in particular where it's like something's happening a door slams and immediately after that slam they start talking in the middle of the sound effect so it makes it difficult to get everything perfectly matched up in the way that i want it to be so you know there are some things that are gonna sound a little funky Uh, i'll get that you know you, you can kind of hear it when we do the episode and as we go through it Um, The reason I say watch it is because it is a film that I think that you, if you don't like it, I think you need to give it another chance. Right away, I'm going to tell you that I do like this film. And and I don't, it's not one of those where, you know, it's not to say, (laughs) I'm trying to formulate myself the best I can right now, but it's not to say that, like, I don't find faults in it. It's not like, Oh God, why don't you like it? Why you're an idiot? You know, it's nothing like that. And I never would say that to anybody because your opinion is your opinion. I can't change that. Maybe I'd like to see if I could, but maybe I can tell you why I like this film. In, you know, in the pathos or pathion or however the fuck you say that (laughs) of the films, the mythos, maybe that's the better word to use, of the whole Evil Dead like trilogy. This does have its place within the timeline. It, it's kind of a weird film in that, you know, it, I, I really want to choose my words carefully here because I feel like I'll say something and maybe it doesn't necessarily gel. And I'm not saying that, hey, you need to like me all the time because there's probably opinions that you don't agree with. But, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess, when it comes to these films. But what I'm saying is if you really like this film already... I'm not going to change your mind. If you absolutely hate this film and you're wondering why the hell am I doing it so early, maybe it's great that I'm getting it out of the way, but I'm definitely going to tell you I'm not going to hate on it because of the reasons that people were hating on it, at least that I saw. And right away, I was one of those people. You can't remake this film. I can't believe this. You're changing. You're getting rid of Ash. Where the fuck is he? At least if you're going to remake the fucking film, he should be in it, right? He should be the main fucking character of this movie because that's what it is. How dare you get rid of fucking Bruce Campbell, okay? Then, you know what? I had a long fucking flight, okay? I got invited to go to a conference for a company called Sage. If you know who that is, you know what type of software it is. And so I went to this, you know, like four or five day long like convention that happened out in D.C., So on the way back, I had a five and a half hour flight and we stopped off at a 7-Eleven before we went to the airport to get something to drink and also to kind of collect our thoughts from what was going on during the day. It was my boss and I, and we had a big change in the company I was working for at the time. So I looked and there was a red box. I had my company laptop with a DVD player in it. And I was like, this is a long fucking flight and I can't just sit there and listen to music Um, you know, I didn't have really a portable gaming device I could bring with me. And I felt really awkward if I did bring it with me just because my boss was going to be on the flight with me. So, eh, do I want to have her see me playing with a game? I was really self-conscious at the time. Now I wouldn't really give a shit. Like, 
I'm going to be going to another conference in a bit, and that fucking switch is coming with me. I don't really care. Of course, it probably is also my age. I'm getting to the point where, you know, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me anyway, so fuck it. So I looked at the red box, and there were two films that I was like, I could choose from. Uh, there was a comedy. I can't remember what it was. And then there was The Evil Dead, or Evil Dead. And so I was like, huh, I had another video on the device already that I was just going to watch. It was a video file. I can't remember what it was. And the other one, I just was like, oh, what do I want to do? You know, do I want to give this movie a chance? And Or do I just want to watch this other one that I've seen a bunch of times that I know is funny, but, you know, it's a flight. Oh, it's only a buck fifty. Okay, well, I can watch it on the flight. I think everything will be fine. It can't be as bad as I think it is. And if it is a bad movie, then I can at least kind of make fun of it in my mind, right, as I fly across the country. I can enjoy myself. Let's just try to enjoy it. I'm not going to go into this film with any expectations. I'm not going to worry about things. Yeah, they fucking changed some stuff. But you know what? Maybe it turned out to be a good movie. Because I did see like some of the interviews and stuff after the movie came out. And I remember that I think it was Spike TV did some like special on it. And to see some of like actually see Bruce Campbell talk about it got me a little more interested in the film and the fact that he was attached to it and Sam Raimi was attached to it as executive producers I kind of put myself to the side and said you know what let's rent it let's rent it it's a dollar fifty I'm not gonna own it it's not like I paid 20 bucks or I went into the theater to see it you know even at that time like it still would cost me like 15 bucks around here to go see the goddamn movie and then you know whatever for my snacks and shit like that so I'm like Dollar fifty. I'm stuck on a plane. Let's just fucking watch it. And, and everybody that fucking knows me, I do not fly well. So maybe it wasn't the best movie actually to pick. But it wasn't anything about flying. It's not like I'm watching fucking Alive or some shit on that plane. So I was like, okay, let's do it. Watched it on the plane. First of all, that was kind of a mistake because of how gory this movie is. Uh, but I found myself really becoming engaged with the film. And really starting to like the characters. Even though it's cheesy. And the acting's kind of cheesy. But in general, I was like... I found a connection to the film that I didn't believe that I was going to have. And I found myself really enjoying the film as I went across the country. Now, as we get to the end of this film... Especially more or more after the credits... I'm going to do a little bit of compare and contrast... Like, you'll hear it through the review. There's going to be certain sections where I'm kind of like, you know, I'm going to talk about certain things that pop up because there's something similar or they do something a little different. But in general, the films are very, 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 very similar to each other. Um, And so, but I do want to go into the end, not necessarily go really in depth, but say what I actually prefer about one film or the other, right? Because there's going to be things that, you're going to compare. You're going to compare leads. You're going to p- compare the overall story, uh, the special effects, things like that. And then there's things that I can say, you know, okay, Evil Dead, it's an 80s fucking, you know, horror film. So I have to give it a little leeway. And that one was almost purely, purely independent. I mean, very little to make that film between, I believe, three hundred fifty and $400,000 to make that movie where the budget for this is a lot, a lot bigger. In fact, the budget for this film was $17 million. So you know that it it 
had a lot more going for it. And it made $97.5 million in the box office. So this movie is a certified hit. Um, it was uh, released in 2013 at S- uh, South by Southwest. And uh, it made its national release here in the States on, on April 5th of the same year. So originally this was supposed to be a fourth Evil Dead film. There was talks about it. But instead, they kind of passed the torch, and we ended up getting this kind of reboot remake. Uh, It's directed by Fede Alvarez, and it's his directorial debut. And it was written by Roto I'm going to butcher these fucking names. Siayaguez and Alvarez, and produced by Robert Tabert, Sam Raimi, and Bruce Campbell. So, it is technically the fourth installment in the Evil Dead franchise, and it was kind of, like they say here, it's a soft reboot and continuation of the original 1981 film. So, it does kind of connect, it does kind of continue, but it's more like, I guess the way that we're supposed to look at it is it's more of the Evil Dead 2 right? It's not necessarily the <laughs> directly after Army of Darkness. In fact, it could just be after Evil Dead 2. But from what everybody kind of pieces it as, it's kind of after the original Evil Dead. So basically, you have a bunch of unknowns in the film, and our main actress star is Jane Levy, uh, who also starred in Don't Breathe, which was kind of his follow-up to this film. Um, and it's another film that I really haven't seen, and I probably should see, uh, with everybody kind of saying, why haven't you seen this film yet? Uh, she's been in a bunch of other things, uh, like Monster Trucks. Oh, great. Uh, the Pretenders, Office Rising. Uh, she's been on shows like Shameless, Suburgatory, and The Kroll Show, just to name a couple of them. She was also on Twin Peaks when the reboot happened in 2017. You also have Shiloh Fernandez, who plays her brother David. Uh, and he's most known for Jericho in the United States of Terror. But he was also in Dead Girl and Red Riding Hood and, of course, The Evil Dead. The other guys, Lou Taylor Pucci. Pucci? <laughs> I cannot fucking talk today. Jessica Lucas and Elizabeth Blackmore. Lou Taylor, whatever his last name is, um, he's been in a couple things. Nothing that you really uh, can quite put your finger on. He did a couple Netflix things re- uh, recently. But uh, I actually quite like him in this film. So without further ado, how about we just jump right into the film, kind of like the film jumps right into it. So it starts off basically in the woods, and there's a girl, she's kind of wandering around. It's very foggy, again, with the fog people. Come on, do you need to do so much goddamn fog? I mean, just focus in on the goddamn forest and everything will be okay. So... She's walking around, and then two hillbilly types, they come out of the woods. <laughs> it's kind of weird to say it like that. Uh, but yeah, they kind of jump out of her, knock her over, and then all of a sudden she wakes up tied next to a plank inside of a basement of a house, and we get probably one of my favorite openings to a horror movie in the longest goddamn time. Please don't hurt me. I will look at all of Merki. Who are you? Please help me. I just want to go home. Please. I just want to go home. 
Daddy. Daddy, why are you doing this to me? Who are these people? Look, they're good people. They're, they're here to help. What are you talking about? Where's Mom? Mommy's dead, baby. You know that. You killed her. You did. No, why are you saying these things, Daddy? Please, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. No, I'm so sorry, baby. Daddy, what is that? absolutely love the way this film opens because you're put in that woods and then you see the girl and you see these like you know redneck hillbillies out there and she seems so fucking innocent she doesn't know where she is the way that she's acting even when she's out in the forest you seem like she's gone through a lot of shit and i mean a lot of shit she's completely covered in mud you know, she looks like she's been broken, beaten, bruised down, like she's a vibe, some type of attack. And then these hillbillies come out there, and they're just basically, you know, tackling her and chaining her to a goddamn uh, post in the basement. And then she doesn't know what's going on. You have all these weird people in there, and you think, oh shit, what are they doing to her? Are they doing some like a sacrifice or whatever is going on? And then when they finally pan over and you see her father, who you don't know is her father just yet, and she says, Daddy, you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then, you know, they have that conversation there, and she just fucking snaps and becomes that demonic force. The whole, whatever they call, I guess in this, they call it the abomination or whatever it is. And all of a sudden is just like, oh, I'll swallow your soul, like type of person. It is such a magnificent turn for the film. And it sets the tone already for the movie. Because right after that, she gets her fucking head blown in by a shotgun. After she's being burned. It just completely, you know right away that this movie is not going to fucking play. And it's probably also going to play with your fucking senses. Because you get so surprised right at the beginning of the film. It's just masterful. And even the shock there. I remember watching it when I was watching on the plane. And this is a movie, again, I really wish that I had taken the time and not been so fucking stubborn and gone to the fucking cinemas and seen this film. Because there are things in this film that would have freaked me the fuck out in a movie theater. And it still kind of does here at home. And some of that has to deal with the violence. And other things are like this here because you're not fucking expecting it. You're thinking that, oh my god, she's a sacrifice for something. Something really evil is going to go down. And it truly does. 
It's just that she's the fucking evil one, not the people that are there. They're trying to put a fucking stop to her. And it's just masterfully done. It's kind of crappily acted from the fathers. I'm sorry, baby. He almost sounds like he's doing an impression of Cher and Mask, right? He's about to kill or his, you know, daughter has died. Oh, you can go wherever you want now, baby. You can go wherever you want. I know that's the, probably the worst fucking share you ever heard, but he really does remind me of that fucking scene in that fucking movie where he's like, you killed him, baby. And it's absolutely terrible. But at the same time, you have this feeling for him. And you get all these weird people in that room, too. There's all these weird hick, like, if you needed to do stereotypical, you know, West Virginia, you know, the whites of West Virginia hicks that you're going to have here in this movie, that's what you would want to see. You would think that they're the evil people, but no, they're trying to help this guy because he wants to save his daughter and he wants to make sure that this evil doesn't come back anywhere into this world. And so from here we go and we're back out in the forest and we see a car that's driving up. They do that thing like they did in the hole in the ground where they start and you're upside down. They flip the car right ways and you follow it down the highway. And that's where it arrives finally at a cabin out in the middle of the woods that looks very familiar. And then you get to meet the rest of the gang along with, well, Mia. Hey, how's it going, Mr. Hot Shit City Boy? Hey, Olivia. Come here. Two arms, please, like you missed me. This is my girl, Natalie. Oh, the heartbreaker from your car shop. The doctor. Actually, she's... I'm a registered nurse. Nurse? Mm -hmm. Right. Sorry. That's... You're supposed to be here two hours ago, man. <laughs> and that's our irresistibly charming Eric. He's teaching high school. Finally turned you into a bitter old coot, huh? No. You did. Kept us waiting here all morning. Good to see you too, man. Come here. You look good. She's waiting for you in the back. Great. Hey, Mia. I'll be damned. You actually came. Come on, you're big brother. Of course I came. I know I look like roadkill. No, you look beautiful, as always. And you're a charming liar, as always. Grandpa? Hey. Hey there, buddy. We always love this place, didn't we? Yeah, you missed you a lot, you know. Oh my god. What? What is that? What? Just this right here. What do you. <sighs> Stop. Funny. This is, uh, it's made from a buckthorn tree. It's supposed to make your will stronger. But I thought you didn't believe in that kind of stuff. I don't, but you do, so uh, maybe it'll work. Okay. Well, then let's do this. So there's a couple things already that have tied ourselves back to the film. The first, of course, is the theme music. 
where they play over the credits and everything after, of course, you get the little like Evil Dead like type of thing when the title card comes out. But the music that it does get played is the same theme from the original film. And then here, when he gives her the necklace, it basically looks like the same one that Ash gave his girlfriend in the first movie. It's nice to have these little bits of throwback here. Of course, you know, the cabin in the woods, that whole thing is exactly kind of the same. But the meaning, or the reason I should say why they're here, is completely different. Uh, the whole gang is basically, you can kind of just setting up for everybody to be fodder, right? And... Honestly, first I want to say, the guy that plays Eric, uh, that's the guy with a last name that I cannot say, if that is a wig and the way that he is done up, if you look at pictures of him now, he looks nothing like he does in his film, and I think that this look actually suits him a little better than the look that he has nowadays, but it's quite an amazing transformation, honestly, and I think it's a well-done job. It's really weird to be like, yeah, the basic outfit and look of a character, oh, man, they look really great, and that's high on the makeup team's job, but honestly, it is, because I would never recognize him in anything else, especially when I saw pictures of him after I went, you know, finished this film again. I'm like, what else has he done? Because I do really like the Eric character in this film. And you can kind of tell right away that there's something that's not quite right between Eric and David here. David's her brother, and he's just like, man, this is the second time. Like, basically, you keep doing this. You're not coming around. You're late. You're making us late. So there's definitely some animosity between him. Because even when David goes to give him a hug and says that he looks good, he doesn't hug him back. He just kind of stands there and then just like, yeah, she's over there in the back. And also, I don't understand when people have problems or they're doing something or they're going to be a part of something evil. They're always fucking drawing. Like, what the hell is up with that? She's drawing pictures of the house. Like, really? She has that much time to sit there? And the drawing is really good. Like, I'm not saying that she's a bad artist or anything like that. Oh, bitches can't draw or any type of shit like that. But it's like, really? You're two hours late and you created that thing? Like... Honestly, that's something that would take me uh, probably a half a millennia to do because I fucking suck at art. I mean, that's plain and simple. But even somebody that's really good, two hours to do that good of a drawing is way, way too little time. So maybe she's the world best, like, fastest drawer that has better been known to man. I don't fucking know. And then you can kind of tell there's a little bit between the two of them. Like, she's like, oh my god, I can't believe you made it. And then they're kind of joking around. And there's a nice little sibling, like, tenderness in this scene. And we find out the reason why that she, they're actually all going to be meeting here. And it's because Mia, she's an addict. Something happened in the past that we're going to learn about in just a few moments. But she has this whole, like, ceremony that she's going to do where they go over a well. And she's like talking talking then she's like fuck this i'm never gonna do this shit again and she dumps out a pack of some type of powder now it's either coke or it's heroin which i don't think it's heroin it could be meth but it's not the blue stuff so yeah we're gonna say that it's cocaine but she doesn't really have like the cocaine nose at the same time but maybe that doesn't affect everybody the same way so what the hell she's just a very bad coke addict that's that's all she's got so she takes it she dumps it and then they go back into the house, and, you know, she is kind of, like, trying to be alone, and David does approach her once again, and we learn that there's a little bit of trouble in between the siblings. Are you okay? Do you remember that lullaby Mom used to sing us? It was something like, baby, little baby, 
It's time to say goodbye. Baby, little baby. Mia, please. I don't think you need sad memories in your head right now. Mom's not a sad one. You know what I mean. You know what our final days at the hospital? Mom sometimes thought I was you. She even called me David for a whole day once, and I played along, because... Mia, look, I wanted to be there. Okay, I did. But by the time Mom got bad, I had just gotten the job at the garage in Chicago. I don't know, I had, I had a hard time finding the right moment to come back. And then it was too late, so... Maybe you were lucky not to see her the way that I did. Okay, so their mother's dead. And there is a correction, I guess, according to the script, that she was addicted to heroin. Okay, so before I get the angry messages from the coke community, it's heroin, not coke. That's what really summons demons, okay? That's how you smell them. That's how you become possessed. I'm sorry if I ever thought that cocaine was what did it to you. So... The mother is dead, okay? And it's safe to assume that she started gaining the addiction because she was the one that had to take care of the mom while she was being sick. Especially when we see, hear a little more about it that, you know, he wasn't around, he started a new job, and he just couldn't be there as she delved into madness. Whatever was taking over took over her and ultimately killed their mother. The other thing that's kind of weird is that this cabin actually belonged to the family. Like, there's pictures of them everywhere on the top side of the cabin. And so, that makes things a little awkward for what exactly is going to come and what has happened at this cabin before they even got there. When did it happen? I don't fucking know, but it happened at some point, and uh, we'll definitely get more into that as the movie moves along. So David goes out to the main living room where the rest of the group is, because they're all going to basically stay there. See, Olivia, who happens to be, I, I never know if there's like a relationship between her and Eric, but they're all kind of like friends from childhood. That's what I'm kind of assuming, except for Natalie. She's the only one that is like the girlfriend of David, and she's coming for moral support for him, I guess. Maybe she's the one that convinced him, hey, you know what, you really need to go out there. So their plan is basically to make sure that she gets off the stuff, right? They're going to do what they can because, as we find out, uh, she actually OD'd at one point and basically died. We already tried this whole thing back in Flint last summer. Mia made the same promises. She took the same dramatic vow of sobriety before checking her dope down the toilet. She lasted eight hours and quit. So we don't want to give her that chance this time. What do you mean? David, when she breaks, and believe me, she will, we don't want to let her leave. What do you mean? You want to force her to stay here? Mia. This time, the only way is the hard way, man. She won't survive another OD. What? Mia OD'd? She didn't just OD. Legally, your sister died. They had to defibrillate her. So, who knows if that's actually going to come back later in the film, hint hint wink wink but the fact that she od'd and he never knew shows how despondent he is to the whole situation with his family maybe he just couldn't handle being around his mom anymore maybe he really just had another job and he just got so busy 
but it's kind of painfully obvious that he did not want to focus on anything that was going on. He ignored her addiction. He ignored his mom's sickness. He just couldn't fucking deal with it. And now the fact that he's learned that she's OD'd, it's kind of bringing a little bit of light to his eyes and how much he actually worries about her. Mia begins to complain about a smell that's going on in the house. Something's really bothering her, and she does see something in the distance, and she can't quite make out what it is, but it looks like it's some type of shadowy figure, a lady or something that's out there, and she begins smelling death. They think that she's just jonesing, not having any of the heroin in her system because she's trying to go cold turkey, and so Olivia gives her a shot of some type of, like, sedative yet she still smells something very odd with the house she says it smells just like death and that's where the dog named grandpa by the way who the fuck names their dog grandpa maybe that's just like a nickname because he's an old dog something like that like david stole the fucking dog from the family or is this just like the dog that they always knew about like he's always had this dog and when he moved away you know he took the dog with him because he can't be fucking separated from the dog, but come on. You know, if your mom's not doing well and your sister needs some help, leave the fucking dog with him at least, and why the hell would you call him Grandpa? Granted, again, I think it's just a nickname, but that's what it is. So Grandpa, he starts digging around because he smells something weird too. He moves a rug, and there happens to be an entrance to the basement of the cabin that somehow nobody fucking knew about, and there's a weird, like, blood stain that's around the edges of it, so they decide to go downstairs into the goddamn basement, which me is like, why the fuck would you want to go down there? So... David and Eric go downstairs to see what's going on. They happen upon the door that we saw in the beginning of the film, and they open up into the room where the girl died, where she was burned alive as that demon, the abomination or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And so not only is there like burn marks on the post, but there's also a ton of dead fucking cats all over this place, which of course freaks Mia out and she's right that they shouldn't be messing with any of that type of voodoo shit that's downstairs because they do find the book as well and it's been wrapped in barbed wire and fucking garbage bags for some weird reason. Let's not go crazy over this, okay? Bear those dead cats out back later. Yeah, smell will be gone in no time. Yeah, okay. And what about... The voodoo shit they did down there. Huh? No, 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 no. Voodoo is more about dolls, personal artifacts. This Eric, is something different. That's enough. You shouldn't have touched anything from that basement. Okay, why all of a sudden does Eric have this big interest in this, like, weird rap book. If I saw something down in a random basement that I didn't know fucking exists, I see a bunch of dead fucking cats hanging everywhere with a smell so hard to get through that when you see this book on a table wrapped in some type of bag and fucking barbed fucking wire, why? Why do you think, oh my god, I gotta take that thing. I gotta figure out what the fuck is in it. Why? Why would you do this? It makes no fucking sense. Like, just leave it the fuck alone. Mia is 1,000% correct. If she was on Mori, she would be saying, I am 1,000% correct that he is not the fucking father. Because that's exactly what this is. You don't mess with that type of shit. You don't mess with that witchcraft. There's a reason why it is fucking locked away downstairs. But no, he's got to go and fucking take it outside and then open it. 
You want us now see what's inside the goddamn book? How fucking stupid are you? You fucking idiot. Like, come on. They did this for a fucking reason. Whoever was there, I would have been like, okay, you know what? And tell him to put the fucking book away. But no, he gets out his, like, bolt cutters and starts cutting open the goddamn book. And Mia goes outside because she's fucking still trying to get over this fucking addiction that she's got. And meanwhile, he's got his little piece of paper and his pencil like he's fucking going to a tombstone and making a charcoal fucking imprint of things. And he's seeing all the things in the goddamn book. There are demons. There are people on fire. There's a lady with her legs spread open. There's all this fucking weird fucking shit. But no, and there's like this like crazy writing of like, I'm going to fuck your mother. And, you know, your dad sucks cocks in hell. And all this other fucking weird writing on the goddamn book. And yet you're still going to go, oh, let me figure, I need to know what this is. Oh, and I'm going to say it, it's, it's Klaatu, Verata, Nikto, you know, it's not the specific words, but why, 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 why would you fucking do this? This makes absolutely no sense. And of course he says the words that he scratches out of the book out loud. And what does it do? It summons the goddamn fucking demon. Okay, now we get the Sam Raimi cam. It is back. So they do a lot of, like, nods and winks to the original film. And that's one of them. Where they're going through the forest and they're going through. So we've got the things like the music, the items that they're giving out, and even the way the camera work is done. It is such a good representation of the film. And it's nice that they're giving these, like, nice little little hints and winks and nods and if you had never seen it before you may not get it but if you really have watched a lot of the evil dead you would right away that's the connection that they're trying to get to you they're trying to say look we're really trying to make sure that you get these little references that we're trying to do this nice little homage to this film that we truly love and so we want to do things similar not exactly the same but we want to give you the same feelings that the original film gave you and so that's where we go outside we see mia she throws up and then she sees that image over out there once again and it freaks her the fuck out so she runs back into the house and basically wants to get the fuck out of there what are you doing i'm sorry but i have to get out of here right now no, come on. Slumber party isn't over yet. Yeah, who is dumb and played fuck, Mary kill, right? Yeah. Please, look. Yeah. I'm going insane here. Olivia, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Yeah, what is it? I will go through with this, okay? I just, I can't do it here. Mia. We've decided we're not going to take you back. I can't lose you again. You're gonna have to stick it out this time. David, drive me home. Come on, David. Mia. Maybe they're right. You were supposed to be here to support me, not them. I'm here for you, Mia. That's why. Oh my God. I am such an idiot. To think for once in my life, I could count on you. Mia, we're just trying to help you. Fuck you, real much.
Now, she does grab the car keys off the table, and nobody seems to fucking notice. Like, it's obvious the noise is out loud. In case you were focusing on something else in the scene, you definitely hear that she takes the car keys, and that she's probably going to get the fuck out of there. Now, of course, I would think the exact same thing. I would think that she's just jonesing. She can't deal with the fact that she's trying to go cold turkey. You know, we're doing our best. They're not using any type of, like, methadone or anything like that. They're using just a sedative. Maybe it is supposed to be methadone, but they don't want to say it is. I don't know why. But they're basically trying to make sure that she can get through this just fine and basically detox herself from the drugs that she's had in her body. Great. I probably would think the exact same thing, but you would make sure that you don't leave your fucking keys out there when there's somebody that could possibly go through this type of, like, shit, right? That she wants to get the fuck away. Wouldn't you make sure, oh, hey, I'm gonna go over there and grab these keys real fast while she's basically fucking freaking out if you want to keep her there and then she pulls that shit where she's like you don't really love me you're not really here to protect me you're just trying to you know you're just like them bullshit that addicts fucking pull when they think that you know they can do things on their own but they really need all the help and of course he's doing this out of love and concern from her because she's already fucking od'd So she goes off into the bedroom and everybody just thinks that she's just fucking jonesing and hey, you know what? It'll actually be okay. Like she'll be able to get through with this. And I believe that it's Eric that goes and tries to check up on her. But lo and behold, she's broken through a window and taken his car because they just left the car keys out there. So we go back over to Mia and she's driving away and she's fucking mad at everybody. And then she gets to the bridge and before she almost gets to the bridge, the figure that she's seen in the forest blocks her path. She turns and she crashes the car into the lake. She gets out of there and she starts running away and then all of a sudden... You would think that the one scene that they may not want to try to fucking reenact, they wouldn't fucking reenact, and that happens to be the tree rape scene. But guess what? We get a different take on the tree rape scene, because she's running away from this entity, and then all of a sudden she dives into like a thicket bush, and then the trees and the bushes, they start wrapping around her, and instead of a tree going after her and getting his put-ins, I guess you could say... The abomination instead, it like barfs all this blackness out of it, staring at her, and then climbs up into her hoo-ha and basically is now residing inside of her body. She walks back to the cabin and everybody sees her and basically is grabs her and tries to make sure she's okay. They give her another sedative and then that's what they think that, you know what, she's just fucking Jonesen. Uh, she's talking about a woman in the woods? How the force attacked her? I don't know, it's just crazy withdrawal talk. Well, don't you think we should take her to a hospital? I feel like we're in over our heads here. Okay, I'm giving her the exact same treatment she would get at a hospital. If we leave now, all of this mess will have been for nothing. Okay, what about the wounds on her arms? I pulled some thorns out. It looks like she might have run into a thorn bush out there. She probably did it on purpose. What? David. From now on, she is going to do whatever it takes to get out of here. So, worried about her, David goes over to see her, and she's just kind of like cowering in the corner. And honestly, tree rape is probably something that you don't fucking lie about. 
But she is an addict, so again, I can kind of understand what is going on with her. But we know this just because, you know, for some of us, we're, we know the whole original Evil Dead film, and that's exactly what happened to, you know, Ash's sister Shirley in that movie. So he goes in there, and she basically says to him, Look, you need to get me the fuck out of here. Something is wrong. It is not the addiction. Something else is happening here, and I'm very afraid. And he just basically says, look, you know, you're going to get better. We're going to make sure that everything is fine. And then he leaves her alone. So from here we cut over and we see that Eric is talking to Olivia. And we can tell that there's some type of like grudge that Eric has against David as well. And I feel like, especially with this scene, and this is where he's messing with the book a little bit more and trying to understand it. Because he thinks that there's possibly something connected to what Mia is talking about and the book. But it also seems like he kind of blames David for what's gone on with Mia. Eric, what are you doing? Please, would you just get rid of that thing? You should be downstairs helping your friend clean up that mess. I don't know who you're talking about. Come on, don't act like you don't care about him. I know you do. Well, I think we can all agree he hasn't cared about us for the past freaking century. Well, he's here now. Yeah. Truly amazing. See, it's kind of a dick move, to be honest with you. Like, she's right. Like, he's here to help his sister, and he's actually here now. You can't put everything on him that's happened so far. You know, yeah, he hasn't been here in a long time, and it's obvious that you blame some of what's going on for what's happened. But you know what? He's actually here now, and he's trying to correct the mistake, and he's actually there trying to help his sister. We see downstairs that David is busy taking care of all the cats, making sure that they're buried outside. I mean, that's a lot of fucking dead cats in that basement. I mean, there must be at least 20, maybe even more fucking cats just hanging everywhere. And he has to do this all by him fucking self. Is this his penance? His penance is taking down fucking dead cats and then having to bury them outside? Well, I guess you gotta do what you gotta do for penance. So after he's finished burying all the dead cats... He comes back into the house, notices that he can't find Grandpa fucking everywhere. That's when he starts looking around and he sees that Grandpa has been bludgeoned to death and Mia is nowhere to be seen. He gets super upset and he tries to find her and she's gone actually into the bathroom. She goes over and basically, you know, goes into the shower, locks the door, and then turns on the water and turns up the temperature really fucking scalding hot and david is trying to get to her he can't get into the bathroom and when he finally does break down the door he sees that she's inside of the shower and her skin is fucking boiling off and the effect looks really good it's one of those effects when you see it you don't know if it's completely practical or not like did they do something on the face or is it cgi and if it is, it's blended in really, really well. I've seen some really shitty CGI lately, especially in a movie where people, like, they got shot. There was a giant fucking shootout, and then all of a sudden, it's all fucking CGI blood and bullets instead of using blood packs and shit like that, where it would have looked a lot more natural. Now it looks really fucking crappy. It doesn't deter from the scene, but it just, it seems so much more hollow. Where you look at this, and maybe there wasn't the budget with that film, but for $17 million for what they did for this, that looks really 
fucking good and really fucking disgusting. So again, they put her down, and then something very odd happens with Mia when she comes out of the room. I, um, I... I gave her a sedative, so she should be out for a couple of hours. But fuck, her burns are serious, like... Second, third degree. This is so wrong. Well, nobody could have known she would do something so twisted. No, you should have known. We've all been following your lead since we got here. We should have left when Mia wanted to. Baby, please. Okay, let's not lose our heads, okay? With any luck, it'll stop raining in a couple hours, and we'll be able to cross the creek in the morning, and we'll take her to a hospital, okay? Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. I don't know if you'd noticed this, but, but nothing has been fine. And everything's been getting worse every second. Mia? Mia? What are you doing? Mia, put the gun down. Put the gun down, please. Mia! Put the fucking gun down! So, what I forgot to mention, too, right before this scene. See, when she burned her skin off with the water, David tried to be the good brother and take her in the car and then take her out of there only to find that the bridge is down. So they brought her back to give her a sedative and hopefully that she'll heal and they'll figure a way to get out of there once the rain has actually stopped and everything's kind of normal or once we get back into mourning. That's where they have this little bit of internal arguing because they just don't know what the hell is wrong with her. And Eric is really, he's trying to say that something evil has happened with her and they don't really know what exactly it is and they don't really believe him and I honestly don't fucking blame them because again... She could just be out there to try to get some type of sympathy or something like that, doing this just so they would take her away and make sure she's doing self-harm to basically get out of this situation that she doesn't want to be in anymore. But instead, towards the end of that, she comes out with a fucking shotgun, the one shotgun they found downstairs again. Why would you take the shotgun up with you upstairs, and why wouldn't you keep it in your fucking view if you think she's trying to fucking self-harm herself? She might be doing something with that shotgun. Who fuck knows? You know, she could go after one of you like she just fucking did, and she really just grazed David, and they're able to actually, well, they don't knock her down so much as uh, she pounces on Olivia and then begins fucking barfing blood all over her fucking face. And it goes on for a really long time. Like, way too long. And this is more reminiscent, honestly, of, like, Evil Dead 2 than Evil Dead. And it's something that, like, they're showing, like, the transference of basically the sickness in this. That everybody that's been, like, touched by the blood or whatever is going to have something happen to them. But you don't know that just yet. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. So they do manage to get her off of Olivia and throw her into the basement and then lock her down there. And of course, Eric, he knows exactly what's possibly going on here. What's she doing? Sounds like she's hitting herself against something. This is impossible. I just 
scared when I was headed before the horse to sleep. You can nothing. Give her another shot. I can put her into a coma. For Christ's sake, Olivia, she's gonna kill herself down there. Go get the shot. I gotta get the strap on my arm. But I, I have tweezers in my purse. David, listen to me. I, I, I don't think a tranquilizer is gonna do shit. Because I don't think we're dealing with a friggin' panic attack here. I'm scared that what's happening to me has something to do with the fucking witchcraft in the basement. So now they're all completely fucking freaking out, right? She's just barfed over her friend, and she's completely covered in blood and vomit and all that fucking loveliness. And it's... It's honestly really disgusting because you can see all the fucking chunks in her hair and it's just sitting there and she's freaking the fuck out. So she goes over into the bathroom and begins cleaning herself. She's looking, you know, up at the mirror and then, you know, washing her hands, trying to wash her face and the door behind her closes. She looks back up into the mirror and then she sees the reflection of herself and it's got the weird demon eyes that fucking Mia has on her when she's down below inside the basement. The mirror smashes itself, and she starts freaking out, trying to leave, and then she's unable to. She just stops, and stops right in her tracks, grabs a piece of glass, and then the scene fades away. We go and see Eric, and Eric is out there, and he's, you know, freaking the fuck out, and they're basically wanting to know if Olivia's okay, so they go over into Olivia, well, he goes over into the bathroom to check up on her, and he looks through there, can't find her anywhere, And he opens the curtains of the shower and there is Olivia and probably one of my favorite like looks in this film and the makeup on this again is fucking fantastic or it's some of the best CG that I've seen out of a film from this era but she's taken the glass and ripped open her jaw. We also get to see the book open to the page where you see that image there and then she's the one that's completely cut her face with the glass. She screams she jumps out at Eric and begins trying to attack him and stab him with the piece of glass that she's got from the mirror. She does manage to get him in the shoulder, but he ends up knocking her down and then beats her to death with a fucking toilet lid uh, until she's gone and she is no more. And that's when David rushes in there and comes to Eric's rescue. He's bleeding pretty badly and he explains that Man, I had to do it. She was coming and she was fucking attacking me. And so he rushes him out into the shed to where he can find some supplies to hopefully patch him up and figure out a way to heal the wound. David, I did something terrible. She didn't mean to hurt her. The thing I killed was not Olivia. He's losing too much blood. Maybe he needs water and sugar, okay? Go. Go! Okay. Okay. I read a passage from that book. It, It was some sort of prayer. I released something, David. I released... Something evil. Okay, so there's a couple things that are going on here. And I do want to mention a couple things that I totally forgot from the scene earlier. And I can't believe I'm doing this throughout the whole goddamn podcast. Uh, But there are a couple things in the Olivia scene that are, one, weird and kind of disgusting. 
The first, besides the jaw being off the face, the fact that she pees herself before the door closes. Like, they actually show the pee running down her leg, and when Eric walks into the bathroom for the first time, he steps in the piss, and he's like, ew, what the fuck is this? Then, when she does attack him, she does attack him using the needle, and it, she's, like, pounding it into his glasses. And I absolutely hate this scene and absolutely love it because the action is so frantic you don't know exactly what's going on and then he has to pull the needle out from his eye and it's the same like she had filled it with more of the sedative so it's obvious that part of his face is probably going to go numb and they do a really good job later on when his face does look like that side of it is completely numb and it's hard for him to talk through the movie well it's not necessarily that hard, but he definitely has a little bit of a droopy face, and I really like what they did with that effect there. So here he's coming clean with like, look, I read a passage of the book. He tells David, tells Natalie that he she needs to go into the kitchen and go get some sugar and some water to make sure that that'll help, I guess, stop the bleeding. That's something that I've never really heard of, but supposedly it's going to work. So, hey, whatever is going to work is whatever going to work. I mean, he's a mechanic. Why does he know these things? Of course, the nurse, she's been bludgeoned to fucking death by Eric, and it really kind of sucks. So we go back over into the kitchen, and we see that Natalie, she's trying to get what she needs, and then we hear some of the, like, knocking from the basement. And she's a little freaked out, but all of a sudden she starts hearing Mia's voice, but it's not the demon Mia. It's something else. What am I doing now? fucking dumbass like you saw what happened you saw how fucking evil she got just a second ago and when she barfed all over and her eyes changed and everything was all fucking crazy and olivia was fucking freaking out and all that shit and then all of a sudden you know she starts being all nice and friendly maybe she's not that fucking stupid maybe i'd be the same way but really in the like context of the film it's fucking ridiculous that you would go down there after you saw her you heard her fucking beating herself and she's laughing and everything that's going on with <laughs> with what's happened with Olivia with what's happened with fucking Eric now and then you go down there and she just fucking turns on her really really fast and then she goes with the whole I smell your filthy soul and I really Love, 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 love the way that fucking uh, Jane Levy plays this character in this film. Like, 
She does the innocent girl really well. Like the person that's just struggling needs to get this out of her, needs to deal with this addiction. She can't get rid of it. And honestly, yes, this whole possession by this abomination is a very good like allegory for her addiction and her trying to beat that addiction, you know, at the same time while basically trying to exercise this demon from its body and what it's going to do to your loved ones. I get that there's a good parallel in between there. And it's nice that they're actually trying to connect the whole demon story. It's not just a bunch of stupid kids playing a fucking record and then unleashing the fucking demons within. She's really, it's like a lot of her and how destructive this whole addiction can be to everybody but it's also mixed with demons and a lot of gore and a lot of blood and a lot of violence. So everything perfectly mixes and works out okay. So this is where you get another one of the most cringy fucking scenes in the movie where, like, she... Natalie, it's hard to talk about this scene, okay? And this is the uh, extended cut. So this is a lot more gruesome than what even I saw on the plane. Um, and... She goes and she starts attacking her. She grabs, Natalie grabs a box cutter and starts to like defend herself against it. But Mia, being the abomination, grabs it from her, stretches the blade out, and then cuts her tongue in half. And then you see it split and the blood come down. It is so difficult to watch when she's running that razor through her tongue that I have to like look away uh, again, like, there was a scene in the Red Band trailer, if you've seen that, that wasn't actually in the original film, and it's in this version of the film as well. So, it's just really fucking rough, but it looks so fucking good at the same time. It's excellent if you're a fucking gorehound. So, she goes, she, you know, bites Natalie on the hand, and then she basically says, give me a kiss, you know, instead of give me some sugar baby or whatever maybe ash might say but she goes up gets some sugar from her and then transfers again some of the demon essence into her body through basically making out with her david arrives in time grabs her out of there and saves her and that gives well i guess demon mia the chance to totally taunt david in a very kind of uh unsettling and inappropriate way Why don't you come down here until I can suck your cock, pretty boy? Mia. Mia, you fucking idiot! Your little sister's being raped in hell! And so Mia goes ahead and she pops out of the ground once again and begins attacking them. Eric comes in after drinking the sugar water, knocks her out, and they put her back inside of the basement. Uh, now, this is where it's a little cut up a little bit. We see a little... Well, we hear a little bit about what Eric was able to discern from the book. At the same time that this is going on and what I had to cut out of here, we see that Natalie, she is slowly being overtaken by whatever darkness has now been injected inside of her. Eric. I don't know why, but I thought this would end it. But this book does not burn does not fucking burn tell me what's going on here it's insane this thing is attached to Mia's soul like a leech it's becoming her 
If we want to stop this, if we want to help Mia... Kill her. What'd you say? If everything said- Eric! We're not gonna fucking kill anybody! Are you listening to yourself? What about those dead cats down in the basement? I mean, maybe they had some disease. I mean, some virus that it spread to Mia, and then she, she passed it to Olivia when she puked all over her face. What, what kind of a virus makes a person cut off their face with a piece of glass? I don't know what we're dealing with here. Okay? But it stopped raining. And in a couple hours, the river will be clear. But we're gonna get out of this place. All of us. It doesn't matter where we go. If we don't do something right now, we're all gonna be dead by then! So first thing that they try to do is they try to basically patch Natalie up, right? They're trying to make sure that she survives. She's got that little bit of like bite wound that she's got on there. And of course, she's gotten a ton of random shit thrown up in her fucking mouth. All this black shit, the same black shit that basically went inside of Mia towards the beginning of the movie. Then in between those scenes, we see that Eric, he's trying to burn the book and he thinks that that's going to be what does it because he unleashed the fucking evil everywhere and maybe getting rid of the book is it. But as he puts it inside of a weird trash can, it won't fucking burn. Nothing he's doing can destroy the fucking book. So they decide to have a little bit of a further conversation on it. Meanwhile, we see that, you know, Natalie, she's gone into the kitchen and she tries just like Olivia did to clean the wound. Then all of a sudden, we see that the sickness, it's spreading up her arm. And we cut back over and we see them, you know, as she's trying to do it and we see it get up further and further, the door closes. And we're like, oh shit, what's going to happen to her? But then we cut back and we it's explained that the only way to stop this is to kill fucking Mia. That's what the book says. If you want to stop the possession, you got to kill it. So this is where I don't get, is this a bad book or is this a good book? Like... This was the same book that was being used by the people in the beginning, so we're assuming that there's something good about it. And it's weird because during some of these little scenes, and especially during the scene earlier where he's reading from the book, we actually do hear the original, like, guy. He's reading the passages along with him. When I mean the original guy, the original tape recording is being, you know, read. And it's going to happen again when they explain how they're going to actually be able to stop everything right um and how what are the ways that they can fucking kill her that will actually save everybody um we cut back over to to natalie there and she's in the kitchen and the arm is just getting darker and darker and darker and here's where we get the reference to evil dead 2 with what happens with ash and you know we'll go through this in in much much detail when i get to the evil dead 2 movie uh, but here, you know, she's looking at it. It's growing up her arm. We see that there's something right next to her that she could possibly use. And we've got Mia poking her head out from the basement with her glowing yellow eyes, taunting the shit out of Natalie, trying to get her to do what basically she's gotten Olivia to do herself. Give me Time to go to sleep. 
Sometimes you little bitch don't cut it off. So she takes the carving knife that they used to have roast beef that looked actually really, really good earlier in the movie, and she begins sawing off her own fucking arm. It is really fucking brutal, and this, again, is the extended cut, so it's longer than it was originally, and you see everything just, it's ripping through bone and flesh and tendon and blood is just spurting everywhere. And even though Mia doesn't want her to basically stop the infection from spreading, she's also kind of giddy at the same time that Natalie is basically cutting off her arm. And then that's where the whole conversation between the two of them, you know, ends. And he runs, they run in and Natalie has finished and she's like, I feel much better. And then her arm like slowly stretches and then breaks off and falls on the ground. And there's blood everywhere. We cut over and we see that they're still trying to figure out exactly how to stop everything. And Eric himself, well, he's kind of savage. These inscriptions are confusing, sometimes contradictory. But they're consistent about one thing. In order to stop this, the possessed must be cleansed, purified. The book describes three specific ways. A live burial. Bodily dismemberment. And purification by fire. Sure this will work? If we... If I kill my sister, she'll be at peace. Am I... Am I sure? Of course not. This is not a science book. Look, I'm sure of one thing. Whatever is inside Mia is the cause of all this. If she dies, then this thing is going to die with her. What if she just lost her mind? It's a doctor. What? A doctor? My mom died in a mental hospital. She was crazy. She was deranged. She was a monster. I've always feared that me and Mia would end up like her. So, okay, so, so Mia went crazy. Okay, what about Olivia? What about Natalie? Maybe we've all gone crazy. <laughs> You're just a fucking coward. You know exactly what we have to do, but you're too scared to go through with it. I'm going to burn this fucking place down. I'm going to end this nightmare. Why don't you just run away? Go hide beneath some rock somewhere. You know, you're great at that. Okay, before we really get into what happens next, 
and you can hear the sounds of a nail gun, we have to kind of go through a couple of things that Eric has learned. Now, one of the things that I didn't get the audio for, and for some reason I thought I did, but what he did learn is that the Abomination is looking for five souls, and there happens to be exactly five of them there. Technically, right now, it's claimed two. It's claimed Mia, and it's claimed Olivia, but it's in Mia's body right now, so I guess... In a way, it's using it as a host. It's not necessarily letting her kind of run around and do whatever, but it imitates her very, very well. It's killed Olivia, and it's tried to infect Natalie. And, well, as you can learn in a second, that it actually was successful, even though she cut off the arm and she seemed like she was doing a lot better. So he learns that, also, there's only one way to stop it, and that's the different ways that they're going to kill it, right? Or they have to kill her. And you can hear it in the one when they say dismemberment. That's what ended up happening in the Evil Dead films. Everybody kind of got chopped up, and then it kind of stopped everything going on. But then there was that really crazy scene where he actually was able to burn the goddamn book, and then it caused the demons basically to come out and rip the bodies of everybody, and it was a big, giant, gory, bloody mess, and it was fantastic, a really great claymation work that went on there. Whereas here, you know, they, they've already done the flame one. The the dismemberment is kind of, I guess you can say in a way, because they used the evil dead, like, doctor guy uh, or professor or whomever he was exactly, his voiceover in that, there's only one left that you probably can guess is the way that they're going to have to end this whole fucking thing. So Eric... He realizes that David, he just loves his sister too much. And he believes, David believes, that maybe it's all just something crazy. But again, Eric is the only one that has like a sane brain in terms of the situation for the movie, right? He's just like, no, you're just too much of a fucking coward to do anything about this. You know what needs to be done. I'm telling you, we've read the book. I've deciphered it. You have to fucking kill your sister. That's the only way that this is going to go. And you know what? You're just too much of a fucking coward to do anything about it. Now, I don't call it cowardice necessarily. I call it, well, I guess you could say, you can call it love, right? He just doesn't want to do it because he's seen what happened with his mom. The craziness killed. He wasn't able to fucking save his mom. And maybe there actually is a way to save his sister. So it's more about the ties that bind them together rather than cowardice. But he kind of sees it as cowardice because he's run away from all the problems that had to deal with his mom and his sister anyway. And now he's just like, You don't want to deal with what's going on here. You just want to fucking run away once again. So I don't blame Eric. I don't blame fucking David. But it does give them enough time to be distracted because they're arguing amongst themselves for now possessed Natalie, which again, like I said, it looked like she was fine. I mean, okay, as fine as one can be with missing an arm and being patched up, you know, but she seemed like she got rid of the infection by cutting off her arm, but you know what, she also got all the blood down her throat or whatever the fuck that shit is. And so she's now been completely possessed by the demon and now has started using the nail gun and is just pumping Eric full of fucking nails. Like a ridiculous amount of fucking nails. And the fact that he survives all this is fucking insane. And so right, you know, basically he's getting shot up. David is dodging. He's also being shot at too and he's not really getting hit. But... You know, he is, I think he does take a couple of nails, but then Eric basically, 
Well, he's gonna he gets knocked back. She drops the nail gun. She's coming after him, and then all of a sudden, Eric is able to get the nail gun and shoot him, shoot her a couple of times in the face, but she doesn't stop. And then, oh, she's beating actually David with a crowbar. That's what happens. He knocks the nail gun out of her hand. Then she comes with the crowbar and starts beating him down. And then that's when Eric stops, and Eric starts getting beaten with the crowbar as well. And then that was when David manages to get the shotgun. And before Natalie can lay the final blow on Eric over there in the corner, he takes the shotgun, fires the shot, and blows off her other arm, where she turns around and looks at him and is like, why did you, you know, why did you do this to me? Like, what's going on? Why do, why, what's wrong with my face? It's actually really like kind of sad and heartfelt in a way because she's like, why does my face hurt? Why does my face hurt? And she's missing her other arm and the blood is just oozing out of the new wound that was created. And she walks over to David and then she lays down and puts her head on his lap and she dies. And it's honestly, it's really gruesome. Uh, the makeup for all the nails in her face look fucking great. Uh, but it's just like, she just lays in his lap because you can tell that she loves him and she doesn't know and probably doesn't want to die, but she dies anyway. So he gets Eric out of the house. You know, he's really battered and beaten and bruised. And so David, he's going to make sure that it happens. He's going to make sure that he sets fire to the place. And of course, the demon reaches back into his heart again by singing the lullaby that we heard earlier on in the film. Sorry, man. I love you. One thing, again, I forgot to mention from earlier with Natalie is he actually takes her body into the shed and dismembers her. And it's actually a really brutal scene as well. It's hard to watch because you can tell that he just doesn't want to do it, but he fucking has to to make sure that she doesn't come back and basically tries to kill him. Here, you know, this whole thing with the singing and he's just like, he can't do it. If you just chopped up your fucking girlfriend, you can fucking set the house on fire and kill your fucking sister. Don't be a fucking coward, man. Just fucking do it. But I get it. He actually thinks because he hears lightning strike and it hits a tree and it sets it on fire. And then he's like, wait, it gets an, he gets an idea. So he starts wrapping a bunch of things together and he creates something. You don't know exactly what it is right now, but it looks like he's wrapping a bunch of wire around some like prongs and then he opens the basement up and goes down inside to get mia when he gets down there he's confronted by the mia abomination and he basically is going to try to use the tranquilizer on her to knock her the fuck out 
but he's unable to do so because she attacks him and then just starts throwing him all over the fucking room. Like, I think it's at least three times that he gets thrown into something. And when she's about to basically lay the killing blow, Eric comes in once again, beaten and bruised and battered and is able to stop Mia enough for David to inject her with the sedative. But unfortunately, Mia gets the upper hand on Eric and kills him. David goes over to Eric and tries to comfort him one last time. And Eric looks at him and he says, man, I really missed you. I really missed you. And then he falls dead. And it really sucks because he finally admits that, you know, he he was just angry and mad. And then the fact of the matter is, is that he missed seeing the guy. And that was the last thing that he ever said to him. So he dies, falls into the water in the basement and... David gets Mia's body out of there and then he makes a makeshift grave for her and then starts throwing dirt on the grave and of course there's another temptation to get him to stop. David? you were coming to see her like you promised but you never did please stop it I'm begging you I know mother hates you now and she waits for you in hell Your junkie sister! Shut up. You're gonna burn it off and try to kill me, you motherfucker! It's actually hilarious because, in the back of my mind, I mean, it's not necessarily hilarious because. He's burying her alive. It's just in the back of my mind. All I can think of, hey, what's that on your face? And he's like, what, what, what? And then throws the dirt <laughs> right onto her face. She also has a plastic bag over her head to make sure that she does suffocate from the whole thing. And at the end of it, she does actually die. And he takes Mia out of the ground after she's died. And then he basically made a makeshift defibrillator. 
and powers it up with the power little generator he's got there, stabs her with it three times, and after the last time, he's just, he's crying out loud, come on, get up, come back to me, come back to me, and eventually, she does, she comes out of the ground, and he also, he had to dress her in this red dress, I guess it's like a ceremonial thing, like she had to be in that to be buried, to be whatever it is, but that's how she ends up in what she looks like at the end of the film, so... She's back alive. It seems like everything's going to be fine. And he's got to go back into the house and he's got to go get something before they leave. He goes in there and then what happens? Of course, Eric is now back from the grave and he attacks David and stabs him in the neck with the bolt cutters that he had from earlier. And he's bleeding. Mia sees him at the door and, you know, there's only one last thing that David's got to do to save his sister's life. Anywhere. I'm not going So David takes the shotgun, he manages to knock it over to himself after he's locked Mia out of the house, takes aim at the gas can that's still inside of the house, blows it up, killing both him and Eric, who has now been turned. And as he's about to shoot the gas can, that's when Eric utters that phrase, he's coming, because officially, he's taken five souls. The fact that Mia actually died means that the abomination actually took the last soul. So as Mia goes out to the car and basically tries to drive away with Eric's SUV, all of a sudden the sky opens up and it begins raining blood. No, 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 you, no, no. You guys have come in here before. You're not going to play that fucking song again. Told you one time was good enough. Now shoot, go, go on Slayer, go away, go away. So... It begins raining blood, and then we get the iconic image from the poster where the evil dead, (laughs) I guess you could say, is starting to rise out of the ground at that angle with the hand up in the air, busting from the earth, and begins chasing Mia around. Basically trying to kill her off so that it can go off, you know, so she can't warn anybody, I guess. But if I was this evil abomination, why would I want to take her soul? Maybe because... She got away, like, even though she died, she's still alive, so, you know what, it's a matter of pride here, I'm just gonna kill you, or maybe I'm gonna kill you to take over your body once again, because more people believe me if I look like you, rather than this weird, naked thing that's going around and trying to kill you. So, there's this really cool cat and mouse game that goes on. She runs away, she runs into the car, it opens the car, it almost gets her. She goes into the shed because the house is now on fire after the whole gas canister exploding thing. And she tries to hide in parts of it. And when she looks for a weapon to defend herself, first she goes, she looks up, and this is honestly kind of cheesy. But she goes and sees the machete, and she's like, yeah, I'm gonna grab that, then no. 
there's a chainsaw up there. Okay, that's the way we're going to do it. She's going to use the chainsaw. We're going to get it all Ash Williams up in here. Okay, I get it. So she gets it, tries to start the chainsaw. It won't start because it's out of gas. She finds the chainsaw gas, actually gets knocked into her lap by the abomination when it tries to break into the building. And so she grabs the chainsaw, she pours all the gas into it, and then she tries to hide inside like the like the walls of the shed or wherever it is. The abomination ends up grabbing the machete and starts stabbing through the walls. And there is two scenes where she gets stabbed with it and it slowly moves the knife like over her leg and you see the cut and everything the blood oh oh i hate those things just like like the nail gun wasn't so bad because it was even though it was nails they're all quick and you're just seeing it the scene with the needle in the eye or underneath the eye that was pretty terrible because you see him pull it out slowly and oh it hurts but here it's like you can feel it just slice your own leg as you're watching her. And it's so slow and that th- thing's got to be relatively dull. It's just the power of the guy here slamming it into the wall. Uh, and she manages to get outside and she goes and she hides underneath the SUV, which I thought wouldn't work. Hey, this thing's got to be a lot smarter than she is. But nope, it's pretty goddamn fucking stupid because even though she starts the goddamn chainsaw and you can hear the goddamn chainsaw, there's still some like that noise like there unless it's just a fucking idiot or it's fucking deaf. And if it's deaf, I'm sorry, Mr. Abomination, dude. But she manages to cut its legs off uh, from underneath the car and then tries to roll away. And that's when it flips the car on her. She almost gets away, but her arm gets stuck underneath the suv the abomination is now crawling to her coming to get her it's missing its legs so it's gotta you know weasel itself on the ground uh and she's just looking at it and she decides there's only one thing that i can do which is rip her fucking arm off not take the chainsaw and cut it first but rip it like she rips it at the spot that it's stuck underneath the goddamn truck and it looks fucking fantastic and it looks like it hurts like a motherfucker right here so she manages to totally separate her like basically from her elbow all the way up well it's more like her wrist i would say it's her wrist because you know the thing is now approaching her she's able to stand up and she gets the last words on the abomination. Feast on your soul! Feast on this motherfucker! And that's where she starts sawing the goddamn thing in half. And again, this looks great with all the blood raining down. No. No. All the blood raining down and the thing is just being torn in half by the chainsaw and blood is splattering everywhere, all over her, all over the ground, and she eventually kills the abomination. It melts into blood and melts back into the soil. And then we get a little kind of interlude of music here where they give like the cast and stuff like that. That's where the normal movie kind of ends, but we get a little bit more in the extended version where Mia is found wandering along the road, and then somebody comes and picks her up, and then the end credits roll.
Are you okay, kiddo? Taking you to the hospital and they'll patch you up in no time. You'll be right as rain. So that was Evil Dead from 2013. So the film in general, like the thing is, at least with the end ending, I should say, is the original theatrical cut kind of shows that the book is there and still alive unbeknownst to Mia. And then this gives you that little bit of an extended ending where she gets picked up and all of a sudden she wakes up like really suspiciously at the end. We don't actually see the book where I believe in the original ending we actually see that the book is still intact. Well, we do see the book, sorry. It folds into itself, closes, and that's where the whole thing is. Whereas this, we get a little bit more to... We don't know if there's something wrong with her still. Is she still infected? Is she, like, just, like, recanting things? We don't know. So it definitely set up a sequel, you know, to have more of this franchise or to continue further, maybe with the adventures of Mia... And where she becomes like Ash in the series. Who knows? Um, it's actually something that I honestly would want to see. Now, when we take the two films side by side and we look at them, there are things that are good and bad about both. Um, you know, and, and a lot of it, I won't go into anything like the effects, right? The effects are honestly better in this. It has a lot more money. But we saw what Sam Raimi could do with a lot more money in The Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, right? This one, I think, of course, wins on that and the gore. It's not as cheesy. That's the thing. Here, there are a couple things taken in terms of, of like a funny context for some things. Like, there's some really kind of weird things, like what she says, you know, to her brother, you know, I want to, you know, you want me to suck your cock? You know, that is funny without being with still being kind of like kind of serious kind of not um and there's you know a couple other little things here and there that i don't think were meant to be funny but were ultimately funny whereas i believe with the first evil dead it wasn't really meant to be funny you know but it was funny that was the thing and and that's something that you know Raimi really built upon with evil dead 2 so in in that regard like there is a really good mixture of both in this. There's some really ha-ha scenes, but this movie is really balls to the wall, and they went really overboard with a lot of, like, the gore and stuff like that with this film, compared to the first where there was the gore, but I don't feel like it was there to be there, right? In some scenes in this, the gore was there just to be fucking gory, you know? The scene with the tongue and the um, needle in the eye and, and it's creepy and it's really well done and I'm not saying that I don't like it but I feel like they just kind of did it to do it in this film now we have to talk about our main characters like our hero and our heroine when we talk about Ash versus 
um, Mia in terms of this, because that's who ultimately survives, right? We have a final boy in the first film, and we have a final girl in this film. Now, it's kind of led up to believe that maybe David could have been the Ash character, but then he heroically sacrifices himself to the last possible minute, and a lot of the focus is kind of put on him because she's possessed for most of the fucking movie. And that's more along the lines of Evil Dead 2 when Ash gets possessed in that film. So, if I take that, like, into consideration, um, you know, there are things about Ash that are way better. Right. Um, I, I like the way that he handles things. He's a human. He's not, you know, he's always like scared at the same time that he's forgetful that he, you know, will do the things that he needs to do. And you kind of get that split up between David and me in this film because Mia really doesn't have a whole lot to do until the end of the film. And it's kind of cheesy when you get to that point when she gets the, you know, the chainsaw takes off her arm, and then sticks her arm into the chainsaw so that she can use it against the evil abomination here and kill him. Yeah, whatever. But I think that she does such a good job in this role that they're kind of equal, to be honest with you. I don't think one is better than the other. Who do I like more? I like Ash more because I think it's a more complete character, but he's had three films to be that fucking character, plus a whole fucking TV series, too. Whereas Mia, she only has this one film, but I feel she's got this great arc where, you know, like I said, there's a lot of comparisons to addiction and the demon in this movie and her overcoming her addictions and what the addictions can do to those that you love. They can basically break and sever your ties in between everybody, which in this film takes it literally as they get killed, you know, by the demon and by the possession here. Whereas with Ash, there's not a whole lot of motivation for him in his film, right? He basically goes on, they're having a vacation, they unearth the book, shit happens to them. There's a lot more if you go on, but if I just take it as a movie, just the single movie, I feel like this film is a lot more developed than that film. Yes, there is a giant time frame in between it, but if I'm just going to look at the film as and then the stories put together, I actually prefer this story a lot more to the original Evil Dead. I, again, I know it's because they have a lot more time to write it and get more in-depth into it, and basically it really feels like the Evil Dead was more like a student's type of film that we're on limited time and limited budget. We're just going to go through a different series and sequences of things where this one, there is a little more of a backstory and you get a little more out of it. Uh, I like both of them equally. I think that they both have really good points. They both have some great performances in it. But if I have to do the acting section of it, I think this cast does a lot better than that cast. I think that cast, again, you're just kind of going with everybody really is unknowns. Even Bruce Campbell at that time was relatively unknown. And this one, where there are some knowns, but relatively everybody's kind of unknown in this cast, but I feel like they get more into their roles here, and they're, even when the people change, everybody but Shirley and Linda really had, like, big changes with them, and even Linda didn't really have a whole lot of changes with her, but here I felt like, you know, and, and you kind of get that with Natalie, too, she doesn't have a huge change, but you get more out of her character. Like, you like those characters right away. You don't like these as much, but you I think you feel more when these characters die. And the fact that 
you know, Ash couldn't go through and he basically had to kill his girlfriend, Decapitator, out of pure necessity in The Evil Dead. Here you get that whole scene is heart-wrenching when Natalie has to die. And she basically, you know, after she gets her arm blown off and she's basically kind of crying and wondering why she's hurting is really heartbreaking. And even when you have to watch David and he goes through with decapitating her and totally dismembering her body, it's really rough to watch. So if I have to like choose one to win, I would choose this one to win on story. On characters as well, I would choose this one over the original Evil Dead. On side characters. On main characters, I actually would still pick Ash, even though I think that you know, Mia is relatively well done, but I do believe she's only half a character, half of what he is. Um, but it does again, take him multiple movies to become the person that he is too. Um, in terms of just nostalgic fun factor or, or just fun, I think that the evil dead beats out evil dead. I think that there's some really fun things here, but there's something about that campy nature of the first one that I just find so much more fun. In terms of originability, you know, I think the first one can't really be beat. It really was original, set the stage for a lot of horror types before it, where this one, yeah, it's a reboot. It does some different things, but it kind of follows the same kind of formula of the first film without breaking it too much. You know, you get kind of everything thrown in there. Only thing is you get that Mia twist towards the end of the film. So if I have to rate the two films or, or rate this film, uh, with this one, the gore is a straight up five out of five. I mean, those scenes are really rough to watch. The scene with the box cutter and the tongue, the scene with the needle coming out of the eye, the jaw being ripped open or sliced open, having to see that, having to see Natalie and her limb fall off, both of them or, or other arm was exploded, but the blood comes out of it. The chainsawing of the abomination. It's all good, gory fun. And it is difficult to watch, especially when you're sitting next to an old lady on a plane flying back from D.C. to California. Uh, the fun factor in the film, uh, I give this one, uh, or sorry, the crap factor, I give this one a 2 out of 5. I think that the performances are actually relatively good. I think that there's some, uh, you know, there's great effects that there's uh, the changes that they do. I do like some of them. I don't like all of them. But in general, I don't think it's that crappy of the f of a film. The fun factor, I gave it a 4 out of 5. You know, I have as much fun watching this film as I did watching the original Evil Dead. And for me, it was perfect to watch it after watching the other one. Because there were so many things that I was just like, man, I, they did this. You know, the way they, they did the cabin, you know, it looked very similar the way that, that, you know, she had the little necklace and that she kept onto it, instead of it being just a loving gift, it was very sentimental and something that she believed in. You know, the way that they did the book, it looked really good, the drawings inside, but there was something about it. I actually liked the, you know, Necronomicon from the second movie more than the first movie, uh, but changing a couple of things, like it doesn't burn and that's how he survives the first film. You know, the fact that, you know, there's still the dismemberment there, but they don't necessarily go that path to, to finish everything off. The fact that there is a final showdown against the demon where they actually are going at each other versus, you know, he's just trying to get away from the monsters and throws the book in the fire. So 
there are some changes that are good and there's some changes that are bad. I really wish that we had one centralized hero rather than the, the persona of Ash being split into two different characters basically over the two different movies that were based in this cabin in the woods. And then lastly, so the overall score that I'm going to give it is four out of five severed hands. Uh, I like this movie as much as the original film. I think it's very underrated by the people that wouldn't give it a chance. I think you need to give this movie a chance. I think that it it's done so well that if you just discounted it because it's not your evil dead, then I feel like I, I want to call you a fool. Just give it a chance. If you've seen it and you really just, you know, you didn't like it, no problem. But if you've never given it a chance, I think it deserves that from you. You really need to sit down and you need to watch it. Is it cheesy in parts? Yes. Is it over the top? Yes. But that's one of the reasons why I really like this film. It's, you know, you don't get this quality of a film in a major theatrical release. This quality of a horror movie. And yes, it is a remake. And yes, they tried to make it scarier. And yes, some of that fucking marketing promo is just to get your fucking ass in the seat. But even if that shit is bad, and that affected me with this film... I still think that you need to see it. You really do. And I'm glad that I finally got to be able to talk about this film and go through it with everybody. So that is it for the Evil Dead, or for Evil Dead, I should say. And so Ashtober will continue, and we're going to be continuing on with the franchise, going back to our hero Ash with Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. From the creator of Evil Dead comes Evil Dead 2. That's right. We'll look at Evil Dead 2 for next time. And I do want to point out, guys, you know, I'm doing the 31 nights of uh, horror going on right now for the month of October, as well as doing Ashtober. This is a lot of shit that I'm doing this month, and I don't know why I do it to myself every October. But there's a big list of mini reviews for movies that I've been watching for the month. Um, and we're about, you know, at this point when this is going to release, I believe this is going to release on the 11th. So we're 11 days in the reviews for movies like Madman, The Gate, 
uh, Slumber Party Massacre, Class of 1984, uh, The Beyond, which, oh, man, uh, as well as Waxwork as well, one of the classics. And there's going to be one that was recommended to me that I watch uh, that will go up uh, the same day that this podcast is released. So uh, if you haven't checked them out, please do. And if there are any other 80s movies you think I should look at for the month, please let me know because I'm kind of like, I feel at times I'm grasping at straws to find a movie that fits this whole theme. And instead of going into the well of movies that I've seen before and re-watching them, I really want to go through and see a bunch of new 80s horror that I haven't seen. I think I've still got a couple that are on the list from Dave with Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. Him and Andy on that podcast have done a bunch of 80s movies reviews, and I'm checking out some of them. That's why I watched Slumber Party Massacre, and why I watched Slumber Party Massacre 2 after watching Slumber Party Massacre, uh, which I can tell you, one's better than the other. (laughs) One's way better than the other, but... You know, I'm having fun with the totally 80s theme and doing these little mini things. So please go ahead and check out the, uh, you know, podcast YouTube channel. And while you're at it, make sure that you follow us on Twitter or follow me, T underscore T underscore podcast. Make sure you rate and review the uh, podcast on things, you know, like iTunes, Spreaker, you know, all the other fun stuff, Google Play that's out there. And then follow Facebook, Terrible Terror Podcast, and Instagram, where you can find also all the movies on reviews on the IGTV, Terrible Terror Podcast. So we'll see you guys next time with Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.